but before we jump into the series, uh, I, I want us to spend a little bit of time doing something that is unique. It's not new. We did it a few months ago, but it, but it is unique, meaning we don't do it all the time. And that is that as we walk through the book of Ephesians, we're going to start every sermon with a reading from the book of Ephesians. We're actually going to read in totality the entirety of the scripture that we're wanting to cover. And here's the goal in doing that. The first goal is that we want to replace the Bible in a place of honor, reverence, and authority in our lives. And it is good to stop and to allow the words that are in the Bible to fill the atmosphere of this room. There's power in that alone. And reading the scripture out loud really does something. It does something not just in us. It does something around us because the word of God is living and active. It's atmosphere affecting. And so when we declare it out, when we speak it out, it begins to minister to us even if we are still growing in our understanding of what it's actually telling us. All right, so that's our first goal. The second goal is that we think it's extraordinarily important to read the whole Bible. We think it's important that I wish I could just go word by word in the original language. Uh, but if you serve in kids, you are saying, please don't do that. All right, like, please, please don't keep us here for 12 hours. So I'm not able, and the different communicators won't be able to lean into every single verse in this space that, that we have together in preaching, um, specifically today through Ephesians 1. And we don't want that to rob you from hearing the totality of the story that God is telling through Ephesians 1. Because it is a beautiful picture of freedom and breakthrough. So can you do me a favor? Can you stand to your feet? We're going to stand for the reading of the Word of God. This is one of our elders. His name is Greg Grant. He is a, clap for this man. He's a good dude. And he's South African. So everything he says is going to feel more anointed because of his, his accent. Um, so Ephesians 1, if you have your Bibles with your on the screen, I'm going to read through it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the will of his purpose of his will, in order that we who were first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal and promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that in the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head of everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Thank you, church. You can take your seats. Amen. God, I'm asking that you would open our hearts. Lord, would you open the eyes of our hearts to be able to see, hear, and be transformed by the power of the living word. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Isn't that powerful in and of itself, right? Just like listening to the Bible. This is so good. Well, before we really begin to dive into the specifics of the passage that's before us today, I want to give you a little 30,000 foot view context of really what was going on. What was Paul, the author of the book of Ephesians, what was his intention for those who were going to hear it and or read it. And the first thing that we need to understand about this epistle, which is just a fancy church word for letter, okay? So the first thing that we need to understand about this letter that Paul wrote to <clears throat> the Ephesians is that it is not a letter of correction, it's a letter of encouragement. This really allows the book of Ephesians to stand alone from other letters that Paul wrote throughout the New Testament that were addressing specific challenges, some heresy that was being preached, some things that were untrue that were being supported. The book of Ephesians does not have that tone or that purpose. The book of Ephesians was given to be a place of strength for the church. Paul actually planted the church in Ephesus in A.D. 53. And he would spend time in and out of that church for many, many years after that. But this letter was written actually years after he had planted it as he was in prison in Rome. 
And so he wrote this letter to them to be a place of strength, to be a place of hope for them as they were facing the challenges of life and the opposition of the enemy. And honestly, this is the main reason I believe that God led us to camp out here as we are beginning this summer season of saying, man, we want to go deeper in God and deeper with one another. It's because I don't know how all of you are doing, but I've heard from a lot of you that the weariness that you feel is real. There is, a, there is a weariness that has taken over us, and now some of that weariness is simply the time of year, right? This time of year can feel exhausting, especially if you have kids, right? You get to the point where, like, do we need another year-end party? Are we, can we just move on, you know? And so you've got all these school things that you find out about five minutes before they start, and your kid's going to get an award that you didn't know about, and then, you know, and so you have to be there and rearrange your day, and then you've got to pick up snacks, because then your, you know, your 15-year-old says, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to bring fruit, and you're like, wait, I can't, you think I just have fruit laying around for you to take to school, that I could just, like, manifest a fruit tray as you're walking out to catch the bus, you know, so it can be a chaotic season, especially if you have kids. And there's just this sense that, you know, our lives revolve around rhythms within the season. And, and we feel this even subconsciously. We're like the summer, as temperatures heat up, schedules kind of begin to cool down, right? And so you begin to feel the effect of the pace that you ran through the spring. And you're looking forward to a, just a little bit more of a slower pace over the next couple of months. So some of the weariness that we're feeling is seasonal, uh, but I also want to say some of the weariness that we're feeling is also cultural. And, and what I mean by that is that there, there has been this vortex that has sucked capacity out of our culture that happened in COVID. And so we think back at things that we did before the pandemic and wonder how we did them. Has this happened to anybody else? I was talking to a friend of mine that they, they were even saying that they had some people at their house this week. And they just noted that, man, before the pandemic, their house was full of people. All of the time, it was like a revolving door of people coming in, hanging out. And then they hadn't done that in a while, so they had some friends over, and it felt like climbing a mountain. And it wasn't because the people weren't amazing. It's just because we learned some new rhythms in COVID, and not all of those rhythms are actually helping us. Some of them are killing us. And so what I am believing for over these next nine weeks as we lean into the book of Ephesians is that we get our bearings again on who God is, who we are, and what's available to us as the people of God. And if you look at a 30,000-foot view of Ephesians 1, that's really what it is. It is a declaration of who is God, who are we, and what's available to us because of what Jesus did for us. Again, if you just listen to Ephesians 1 verse 3, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Wow! Did you hear that? That he chose you before the creation of the world. Oh my gosh. That means that God in all of his glory. I mean, you read Genesis 1. It says this. In the beginning, 
God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means that God was before time and space. That before time and space, God existed in his awesomeness, in his glory, in his completion, in his perfection. And Genesis 1 continues, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the water. Almighty God was hovering over what was not yet created. And in that moment, he was thinking of you. Think about that for just one minute. Let the, just the massive weight of that just sit on your soul for one minute. That God, before he created the sun to warm you and the earth to provide for you, he was thinking of you. He was thinking of you. And I believe that Paul's really commitment to personalize this and not generalize this is on purpose. God was not over hovering over the creation thinking of humanity. This big broad stroke. No, 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 no. He was thinking of you. And somehow in the majesty and the complexity and yet in the simplicity of the heart of God and the bigness of the God that we serve, he knew you before the creation of the world. He knew you. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glory and grace, which he has freely given us and the one that he loves. Now, let me just go ahead and step in the cow poop that is in front of me. That depending on your upbringing, depending on your theological landing, this scripture specifically will take you in one of two directions. And this has been a debate in the church for as long as there's been a church. And it really focuses primarily around the intent of the use of the word predestined. And the question that was birthed out of a desire to understand God, it's important for us to grasp. A question that was birthed out of a desire to understand God has at times led to divide the people of God. And that question is this, is salvation the free will of man or the predestination of the pursuit of God? Is salvation of the free will of man or of the predestination of the pursuit of God? And listen, what I preach and what anyone who stands on this platform will preach will be the totality of the word of God. We believe all of the Bible. Can I get an amen? Therefore, I believe that God predestined us, as it says here in Ephesians 1. And I also believe in 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, which says this. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that may live peacefully and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all 
people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So I believe both Ephesians 1 and I believe both, both 1 Timothy 2. And guess what? Paul wrote both of them. Paul wrote both of them. So either he's contradicting himself or he is calling us to a mystery of the supremacy of God. That somehow in God, he both predestines us and desires for all of us to come to a knowledge of the truth. And here's the thing. He's God and we're not. Okay? So you're not going to understand all of him. And instead of that leading to some frustration in you, let it lead to awe within you. That he is so big and so in control and so beyond our ability as humans to reason and understand and explain his bigness, his godliness, his supremacy. That our understanding is limited by our humanity. And Paul was tapping into, I believe here, not us getting hung up on the word and the purpose of using the word of predestined. But he was pulling us out of the weeds and into the stars to understand that God is way bigger than we think. And he is way more in control than we believe. And he loves us way more than we at times allow our hearts to receive. I believe the intent of Paul in writing this specific sentence in Ephesians 1 is that it would pull us to the supremacy of knowing God Almighty. That he is in and of himself everything. In the beginning, God. He is all-knowing. He is all-loving. We see Paul begin to make a transition from pulling us into the supremacy of God to beginning to unpack for us the intention of the heart of God really beginning in verse 7. And in verse 7, he says, in him we have redemption through his blood. Speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and, uh, and on earth under Christ. In him, we have redemption through what Jesus did for us. We have redemption, the, the forgiveness of our sin is equated to the richness of God's grace. Now, if you've been around me, you have heard me say that it is imperative. That if you want your heart to be filled with hope, that you have to preach the gospel to yourself every day. That, you, that it is a healthy, holy rhythm 
to preach the gospel to your own soul and to remind yourself that there is a God that has forgiven you of the sin that is in you that you feel like you're stuck in, that when you come to him and say, God, forgive me, that in that moment, the richness of the grace and the redemption of God is poured out on you. And I believe that a lot of the times we feel like the church doesn't have any power because we have a church that doesn't preach the gospel to itself. We, teach, we preach the gospel to others, but then we live under a weight that isn't the, richest of, the richness of the grace of God. We live under a weight that isn't the fullness of the redemption that we have through Christ. We live, we live under the weight of what we've done. The blood of Jesus is enough. Paul is clearly declaring this simple truth to us. And he wrote this letter not, he declared so clearly the beauty of the bigness of God and the intention of the heart of God, not to a group of people who had never heard. This was written in its clarity to a group of people who believed, which reinforces for us that we must, hear me church, we must preach the gospel to ourselves because Paul knew that we would have a really hard time understanding that forgiveness from heaven is not just knowing that we're okay with God it's receiving that we've been redeemed in God We've been redeemed. Redeemed means that action of rega- the action of regaining or gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. And that is exactly what the power of the cross is for us. It, is, it, it, it was that sin has been destroyed in us as Jesus exchanged his life for a payment of our shortcomings. Again, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Ephesians 1 is what is true. Let, just, let, let that sit on you for a minute. This is what is true. This is what is right. This is what is real. Ephesians 1 is true. But I know if you're anything like me, me, you would say, you know what? I believe it. I just don't always experience it. I believe it. I just don't always experience it. What about, I mean, like, what about you? Like on the backside of screwing up with your kids. When you repent and you ask for forgiveness for raising your voice or losing your temper or whatever it is, saying something that you wish you wouldn't have, what does your heart feel like after you go to the Lord? Do you step into the richness of his grace? Or do you believe that what you did was forgiven, but there's weight that you still must carry? 
What about if you don't guard your eyes from just the onslaught of perversion and junk that is just being piped into us like, un, like no other time in history? And you repent and you confess your sins to the people that you're walking with and you lay before the Lord and you're like, God, I hate it. I don't want to do this anymore. Do you experience the richness of his grace through the redemption of what Jesus has done? Or do you say, I think you forgave me for that, but I still got to carry around the weight of it. And I believe this is why Paul started the letter this way, because this is not a new condition. This is the human condition. That understanding that we have been bought with a price, forgiven, set free, is the most foundational yet the most complex truth that we need to receive and believe as followers of Jesus. Galatians 5 says that the acts of the flesh are obvious to us, they really need no explanation. Right? Then he goes ahead and gives us the list. Again, Paul wrote this too. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, fraction, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And when we do these fleshy things, when, when, we, when we sin, no matter what it is, we can know that God has forgiven us. And still carry around the weight of it with us. We believe the cross has crossed out our sin. But we don't receive that our sin has been lifted off of us. It's like this. This is a weight vest. I work out with this. I'm not like one of those militia people. I get asked that question sometimes. They're like, yo, dude, I didn't know you had body armor. I'm like, I don't. I run with this. This is kind of like what we do. We sin, and then boom, the weight of it hits us. We go to God, and then we repent, and we say, God, forgive me of what I have done. And we have an understanding that the blood of Jesus has marked through our sin. Yet we don't allow the weight to be removed. So you're going, yeah, you know, I know God has forgiven me. Yes, yes, but I, I, I still think I need to carry this around a little bit. Because if you, know, if you knew what I did, man, like it's a, it's a good couple month waiter. You know, like, man, if you knew what I said, like you would want me to feel horrible for like a week. You know, like, if, if I told you what I thought, oh, Lord, like, you might want to put two vests on me and say, just carry that for the rest of your life. Right? We carry around the weight of our brokenness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And we carry it around even understanding that God has forgiven us. We, we carry around this weight. We know that in Jesus, our sin had been atoned for. It's been crossed out but the weight of what we've done is still on top of us hear me i think our weariness epidemic is driven because of this we're worn out because we're carrying things we were never intended to carry 
And so we're, we're walking around not receiving the riches of God's grace that's been lavished on us. We're, we're walking around under the weight of what we've done. And I, I want you to understand there's a reason for this. And the reason is, is that we're in a battle. We're in a war. We're in a war with a very real enemy named the devil. And this is how Jesus describes our enemy. Our enemy is described in John 8 verse 44. It says that when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen to how the devil is described in 1 Peter 5.8. Be alert and sober-minded because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we have an enemy that is roaming around, looking the whole time for someone that he can lie to. And he uses lies as entry points into our hearts to get us to believe that the sin that we have done has not actually been washed away. And that the redemption that we have through Jesus and the forgiveness of sin that is in accordance with the riches of God's grace is for some, but it's not for you. And so we walk around under the weight of what we have done, and then we get tied to lies that I like to call the shame chain. The shame chain. Have you ever tried to just mind your own business, and you're walking through the domain, you're walking through downtown, you're walking through campus, you're walking through your office, And then all of a sudden, you feel this yank on your soul that has one goal and one goal only to remind you of what you did last night. And so you're you're just trying to move on. You're like, all right, I got to move on. I got to get rid of this weight. I got to just, I got to go love somebody. And then you're just walking through your office and then all of a sudden you start feeling this tug like, oh yeah, yeah, you remember? Tell me if you've ever heard this. If you're wondering, is the devil lying to me? Have you ever heard this? You will never beat this. You're walking through life and you start feeling this tug and then all of a sudden this little voice in your mind, you're never going to beat this. It's going to beat you. You're not going to beat it. It's not, you're never going to get over this one. And so we're not just weighed down with what we've done. We're stuck. Because we believed a lie that the redemption of God was not complete. And so we're trying to walk through life and it just feels like, I don't know if you've ever felt it, like the yo-yo of one step forward and two steps back. You're like, oh, man, I'm doing so good. And then you get mad at your spouse, and you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. I'm back here. Oh, yeah, man, I need to work on patience. And you're like, 
Hey, you remember when you yelled at your kids? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying to move forward because we get stuck in this trap that keeps pulling us back. And these lies keep telling us, man, man, you know what? You're never going to beat this. This is going to beat you. Here's another lie that the devil uses to try to lock our hands in the shame chain. You know what? No one is for you. You ever heard that one? No one's for you. No one likes you. So you're like, man, I know it. I'm not going to believe this lie, this cultural lie of isolation that is literally robbing people from the power of the church. Do you know that since the pandemic, churches across America are 50% down in attendance? Of the 50% of people that have left the church, 70% of them are saying they have no intention of going back. And the reason is, I believe that the devil has seeding lies. No one gets you. No one likes you. And you're like, man, all right, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go. I'm going to dive into a life group. Nobody likes you. You're right. You're right. No one likes me. Oh, I'm going to start serving in church. Oh, remember, nobody's for you. Oh, yeah. And so the devil has us locked into this weight that we're carrying and these chains that we're dragging and he's lying to us to get us to believe the lie versus the truth that we have received in Jesus redemption for everything that we've done Hebrews puts it this way that we need to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, running the race that he's put before us. We don't, we, we don't have to carry around the weight of what we've done. We don't have to believe the lies of the enemy that are trying to lock us in to who we were. And I want us to end by listening to the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians 1. He launches into a prayer, and this is what he says. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is evoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is the body in the fullness of him who fills everything in every way this is a cord breaking weight removing prayer that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened that we would see that how we are living is not the intent of God but it's the manifestation of shame in man 
and that we need to throw off everything that hinders us, all the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Amen? Do me a favor, stand to your feet. Church, we've been redeemed. We haven't just been forgiven, we've been redeemed. And I believe that there's some weight that needs to come off people this morning. I believe that some of you are here and you are even now feeling the weight of things that you have done years ago. And you are believing the lie that you will never beat this. And I believe that today there is weight shattering presence available to us. That Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is all and is greater than all, the one whose name, that everything on earth and under earth and in the earth will bow down and worship him, is in the room right now. And he's looking at that weight that's on you and he's like, you know what, I can do something about that. I can do something about that weight you're carrying. I can do something about that shame chain that keeps yaking you backwards whenever you start trying to lean in to what I have for you and so if you're here this morning and you're carrying around a weight of what you've done or you feel like you're tied up to a shame chain Jesus is here to take that away from you Jesus is saying I can do something about that I can do something about that weight I can do something about that chain all we have to do is very very simple we have to receive it we have to receive it we have to understand who God is and understand who we are and then understand what God has made available to us as the people of God. We just have to receive it. And so right now, if you're here, as the band begins to play, if you're like, man, I'm carrying around a weight or I'm tied to something I did, I want you to begin to make your way to the front. And make that be a bold statement of I'm not going to walk around under the weight of who I was. I'm going to step forward into the glorious riches of the grace of Jesus that's available to me for those who believe. Amen? So let's pray. And then as I say amen, if you need to respond, I want you to come on up. As you do, our ministry team will come up behind you, begin to pray for you. But don't leave under the weight of sin and shame. Don't leave today. God is saying, I can do something about that. Why don't you take him up on his free invitation? Jesus, I'm asking that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see that we can step into the fullness of your grace. And then in that place, the weight that we carry, the chains that hold us back and down will be broken as we step into the full picture of your story of redemption for mankind that before the creation of the world, you, you knew us, you called us by name, you had a plan for us, and you you foresaw this moment of weight being broken off people's shoulders and chains coming off people's wrists so that they can step into the fullness of who you are and who you've called them to be. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now church, respond.